0: Our scripture this morning is from Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 20. Listen now to God's word. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover meal for us, that we may eat it. They asked him, Where do you want us to make preparations for it? Listen, he said to them. When you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs already furnished. Make preparations for us there. So they went and found everything as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When the hour came, he took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes." Then he took a loaf of bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me and he did the same with the cup after supper saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood this is the word of god for the people of god thanks you. you may be seated Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this World Communion Sunday where Christians around the world are celebrating Holy Communion. God, we thank you that we are a part of that global communion. God, speak to us this morning. Speak through me. Give me your words for all of us to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the earliest objections to the Christian faith was that they were a bunch of cannibals. You may have heard this before, maybe you haven't, because Christians were said to eat the body and blood of Jesus, people thought they were cannibals, that they were eating the literal flesh and drinking the literal blood of Jesus, and it was disgusting to people. Uh, it, we've got a long, we've gone a long ways from there. Not many people try to make that claim, but there still is a lot of confusion as why do Christians gather at a table together and eat bread and call it a body and drink wine or grape juice and call it blood. So this morning, the hope is, that we come to a deeper understanding of why it is that we gather at this table. Why do we come together and eat this bread and call it body and drink this grape juice and call it blood? Matthew, Mark, and Luke place this supper, the Last Supper, firmly within the context of a Jewish Passover meal. Now, the Gospel of John doesn't really portray it like that, uh, but there are theological implications as to why John orders things the way he does. And the other three Gospels make it clear that Jesus was having a Passover meal that he was looking forward to. Luke tells us that Jesus was eagerly desiring to eat this meal. And then he looks at his disciples and gives them very important instructions as to where to go to prepare this meal. But one of the things that Christians, including myself, often miss out on is why is this so important for Jesus? Why is it so important to Jesus that they go prepare this this Passover meal? Not being Jewish myself, I didn't grow up partaking of a traditional Passover. And so when we read in scripture about the Passover, sometimes we come to it with kind of vague ideas about what that even means. So this week I went over to Gail Byers house. Gail and uh, her husband Dana attend the 830 service. And Gail has a really interesting story. She is Jewish. Uh, But at some point in young adulthood, she became convinced that Jesus was and is the Jewish Messiah that had been prophesied and So she worships with us on Sunday morning, and she also worships with a Jewish community in Lexington And so I wanted to sit down with her and just get a better understanding of what does the Passover mean to you I've read the stories in the Bible I've been to a couple reenactments or, or participations in a Passover, um, but, but never really fully understood. And so I just tried to get an understanding for her what does the Passover mean to you? I wish I had done this earlier because as soon as I got there, she had apple pie for me to enjoy while we were there. But we sat down, and when I, when I asked her about the Passover, Her her facial expressions and her tone changed. There was something about this meal that was very meaningful to her. One of the things that she said that really stuck out to me was, we would not exist without the Passover. When she says we, she means the Jewish people. We would not exist without the Passover. It's, It's an identity of who we are. I also read this week that during the Passover meal, there's a series of questions where children are prompted to ask, why is it that we do this? Why is it that we do this? And that's part of the liturgy of their meal. So the children will ask a question, and then an adult who's presiding over the meal will, will tell a story that explains why we do what we do as Jewish people. So, it's a way that children learn not just their story, but who they are as a Jewish person. They learn more about their identity. We would not exist without the Passover. This is the meal that Jesus was sitting down to with his disciples, they were Jewish. This meal is who they are. The Passover story goes back to the book of Exodus, where God's people were slaves in Egypt, and there's the series of plagues. And the last and final plague, they were told to put the blood of a lamb across the doorpost of their house, and the Lord would pass over them and save them The Passover meal brings them back to that story, but also the whole story of God saving his people out of Egypt. See, the Passover story transformed a people group. Their identity became those whom God saved out of Egypt. And to this day, that is the identity of the Jewish people. Those whom God saved out of Egypt. It's more than a story for them. And so when they sit around this table and they teach their children, and when they remember, they're remembering their very identity, who they are. Thomas Merton uh, was a monk that lived here in Kentucky, just outside Bardstown. There's a monastery, the Abbey of Gethsemane. There's a Christian journey group that visited there recently. But he was born in the early 1900s to a family that was slightly religious, but not really. And spent most of his childhood with vague ideas of a God and what some people believed, but with no real faith. In young adulthood, he became kind of obsessed with cathedrals and artwork. His father was an artist. And so he would go and just sit in these cathedrals and look at the stained glass windows and all of, all of the artwork. But it never really meant very much to him. Until a little bit later in life, as he began to explore Catholic, uh, Catholic doctrine, he became convinced of Christianity. And he converted to Catholicism. He went through a process with a priest where he was taught all about the Catholic Church and about their faith. And this this autobiography that, that he wrote talks about how during this time he just couldn't wait to be baptized. He wanted to officially become Catholic. He wanted to officially become Christian. He wanted to be baptized and he wanted to take his first communion. He tells the story of taking his first communion, and then after that, kind of expecting everything to be different. And how, in a sense, it was a little bit different, but there was still this life that he had lived. And he had sought to satisfy every pleasure that he had. He had looked at every avenue to find fulfillment, to take away his depression... And so when he found the Catholic Church and became a Catholic, he still had this past. And he still had these things that were calling out to him. And do you know where he turned? He turned to the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, uh, the Jewish people are in the desert. They are... Uh, awaiting the promised land. They are journeying toward the promised land, but they're not yet there. They're out of Egypt, but not yet in the promised land. And listen to these words. These are the words that, that Thomas Merton uh, calls to mind when thinking about that period right after his, his baptism and First Communion. Deuteronomy 11:10 10 through 12 says this, For the land that you are about to enter, to occupy, is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sow your seed and irrigate by foot like a vegetable garden. But the land you are crossing over to occupy is a land of hills and valleys, watered by rain from the sky, a lamb that the Lord your God looks after. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And Merton reads this and draws this comparison between a people who lived a life as slaves in Egypt and are now out of that life, out of that land, but haven't yet occupied the promised land. And that's how he describes the state of his own soul, that he knew that his life should not look like it did before. That like the Israelites, he had been called out of a land and promised a new land. He had been called out of a life and promised a new life. This is the story of the Passover. The Jewish people were called out of a land. They were called out of a life to slavery and given a new land The book of Deuteronomy also contains a lot of instructions for how to live in that new land But it was different than the old land He also has a line in his book uh, Merton does seven-story mountain is the name of the book where he talks about trying to live his life the way he had been living it, but just with a little bit of supernatural grace that would prevent him from sinning. Which made me think, that's the way most Christians would view our lives. That it's similar to it would be without, except we have some extra grace that helps us not sin. Or know that we are forgiven when we do. But then Merton became convinced that that was not the case. That's not the Christian faith. He became convinced that his old life should cease and a completely new life should begin. For him, that meant becoming a Catholic monk and spending a lot of his days in solitude But he was convinced that Jesus was calling him out of his old life into a new life. Christians are called into this story as well. The life God has called us to is not like the one he has called us from. The life God has called us to is not like the one he has called us from. And so Jesus sits down to eat this Passover meal. And he eagerly desires to do so, because the Passover meal is who they are as Jews. Then Jesus does something really strange. He takes some bread And calls it his body. And then he takes the cup of wine and calls it his blood and gives it to his disciples. In verse 16 of Luke chapter 22 that we read a moment ago, Jesus said that he will not eat of this meal again until it is fulfilled. There is something about the Passover meal that they are partaking of That Jesus says will be fulfilled in the future. Something will happen that is yet to come. That is a fulfillment of the story that began in Egypt. The Passover story of the Jews, their salvation of out of Egypt, continues into the Gospel. Paul understands this when he's writing to the Corinthians. He actually refers to Jesus Christ as the Passover lamb. There is a strong connection with Jesus' death on the cross and the Israelites being saved out of Egypt. Thomas Oden is a theologian who just passed away a few years ago. Uh, and he, he wrote this about, the, the, about Holy Communion and all its ties with the Jewish Passover. Listen, listen to this from Thomas Oden. What had begun as a Jewish Passover meal commemorating the exodus from Egypt and the establishment of the covenant at Sinai ended by celebrating a new exodus from the Egypt of sin and the establishment of a new testament and the blood of the Son soon to be shed.
1: What began as
0: this Jewish Passover meal ended in this talk of fulfillment and setting up of a new covenant. As the old covenant had been sealed with sacrificial blood, so was the new covenant to be sealed with Jesus' own blood. As the Passover meal was a sign of departure from Egypt, so was the Eucharistic meal a sign of a new departure, a spiritual exodus, liberation from bondage to sin. The church on earth continues to be a community called to journey toward a promised land, seeking that which is above. That's what the church is doing today on World Communion Sunday. The church around the world is acknowledging That we are still a community called to journey toward the promised land. And so the church gathers to celebrate Holy Communion because it's who we are. Because this story identifies us. Without it, we are nothing. Its meaning echoes the Passover story that we were called out of one life and called into Another, And so as we gather at this table to take of the bread and the cup, know that you are doing more than simply remembering a story. You're doing more than just remembering a story. You are participating in the meal in which Christ gives us his own life. He is calling calling us out of an old reality in which we lived by our own strength to satisfy our own nature and placing us in a new reality. In this new reality, God has offered us a new nature and sustains us with his own life. Communion is more than just remembering a story. There have been attempts throughout the ages to demystify communion. To say it's not a mystery. It's simply bread and wine or juice. And by doing it, we think back to what Jesus did. The early church thought it was more than that. They believed that when they gathered at the table to partake of this meal, it identified who they were as people saved by God. And that by eating the bread and drinking the wine, they received grace into their lives. They received the life of Jesus Christ into their lives. And so as you come to the table this morning, maybe there's a part of the old life that is still hanging on. Maybe, like Merton, you have been baptized, you've had communion before, but you're still trying to fit this new grace into an old way of life. Maybe, just maybe, by coming and partaking of Holy Communion this morning, God will give you the grace to release something from your past. There is a mystery in Holy Communion. It's a mystery we can lean into and say, God, give us grace. Give us grace that changes who we are to transform us into your disciples. As we come to the table to partake of the bread and the cup, we're receiving the grace of God.